Welcome to today's broadcast of Practically Political, where pragmatists talk politics. I'm Dave Spencer, and we have another very special guest today. Lorraine Wollard is the White House reporter for Politico, where she focuses on federal policy. Before that, she was part of Politico Pro's financial services team, where her beat included housing and mortgage policy. She has also been a reporter at Bloomberg News and Businessweek. Lorraine, thanks for taking the time to be on the show. Well, hey, Dave. Thanks for inviting me. So my first question I got to ask is just about being a White House reporter. And as someone who spends good chunks of time there and obviously is with the administration as it governs by what I see basically moving from one crisis to another, how do you see the latest one affecting the political landscape? Is this going to finally dent it or will the uh, Teflon president strive on? So far, it looks like he's going to weather this one just like he's weathered others. All the shoes haven't dropped yet, right? Like, we're going to probably get more out of the um, Cohen plea. We just learned today that AMI and, and Dave Pecker, the guy who runs that organization, got immunity from prosecutors regarding their involvement in payments or hush money to Karen McDougal and other people. So all the shoes haven't dropped yet, but so far, the president and the White House haven't changed their MO. They're denying that there's any connection to the president. I've been calling around to fundraisers yesterday and today, GOP fundraisers, and so far, like on the record and off the record, they're like, yeah, we're not really worried about it. Money's still coming in, and we think we're going to weather this. If I could take a step back, I'm just curious about what stories you're focusing on right now in terms of daily and weekly basis, and how does Politico go about assigning its coverage? I have to say, it's kind of hard in this environment because all the planning in the world can't prepare you for an impetuous president who makes policy sometimes on the fly, right? So we knew at the beginning of the week, for example, that there would be news on Manafort because the jury was out. We expected the jury to come back with some sort of verdict. But I don't think any of us were prepared for Michael Cohen to happen at almost the exact same minute. <laughs> and then, of course, we weren't prepared for Duncan Hunter to happen a couple hours later. And then Facebook news on Russia and Iran <laughs> um, meddling. So it's kind of hard to plan. For example, we had Tuesday's big news with Cohen and Manafort. And so now we're sort of thinking, okay, what does this mean, for example, for the Trump organization? What does this mean for AMI? So we've, we've kind of been fishing around in that, in that pond. But then, you know, news breaks. AMI reached a deal with prosecutors for immunity. So it's hard to plan, and, and sometimes you just can't. Yeah, on a sidebar, I, I would have to give Duncan Hunter the Timing of the Decade Award. Tuesday is the only day where I could not hear about that until I, I turned the news on at night because there was so much going on. <laughs> He and Chris Collins, the first two congressmen to support Donald Trump, are the first two to be indicted. Right. And, you know, on any, like you said, on any other day, that would have been the headline, right? On any other day, Facebook spiking 600 accounts related to Russia and Iran, that would have been the headline. But both those things got buried on Tuesday. You know, I'm wondering about how the continuing controversies involving this president and his administration affect your job when you're trying to report on substantive policy issues. And this is a huge problem for two big reasons. The first one, which I think is the main question you're asking, is how do we cover the substance? It's hard to even get them to engage on substance, frankly, because I think they are constantly dealing with the controversy of the day or the tweet of the day. So even though there is policy news happening out there, it's hard for us to get information, even when it's not controversial, right? 
so that's like one side of it is dealing with the administration and trying to get them to cooperate and just help us get information out. But on the flip side of this for a reporter is our editors, I think, are also less interested in talking about substance and stories of substance because there's so much scandal and there's so much chaos with the president and the tweeting, et cetera, and the palace intrigue that maybe a story about the mortgage market or energy policy is just less interesting to everybody because we're all caught up in the scandals and sort of the junk food of the news. Well, here's a classic example. One of my main concerns is all these tariffs and potential trade wars. Do you have any response from certain businesses in America due to this policy and how worried they are? And is anything penetrating with the administration? Because I thought that they'd make noise about it, that the president could claim a win and we'd be done with it. But it just keeps going on and on. And China doesn't seem to be backing down. Yeah, China's definitely not backing down. And this is a really good example, right? So almost every economist, with the exception of a very small number, agree that these tariffs could cause problems for the economy in the near term, in the immediate term, as well as in the long term. So look at what's happening to them. If every reporter in town is covering the day's tweets or the day's indictments, how do you get a reporter to listen to you about what this is going to do to the auto industry, for example? The auto industry launched a new coalition on Monday. That was news that got kind of buried because of everything else happening. So the tariffs are going to be a huge problem um, for the economy. They're going to be a big problem for a lot of voters in November if Trump follows through on promises, which we expect him to. And yet this is, again, one of those really important stories for political and policy reasons, and yet it's getting lost in the shuffle. Here's the irony. If this were any other president, you could make a good cause that he's crazy like a fox because all this distraction allows a lot of under-the-radar stuff like dismantling of pollution rules, things like that, to go on, and people are so distracted that it's harder to focus on those. Exactly. That's exactly right. So then the question is, you know, eventually this stuff bubbles up. It doesn't get, like, buried forever. Eventually it comes back. And now, for I think for the president, the timing is going to be, and for Republicans, the timing is very delicate, right? You start slapping tariffs on people now, 25% auto tariff, you get that before the election, that could be really damaging in November. If people who are his core supporters, you know, the 20% of the people in places like Wayne County, Michigan, that had voted for Obama twice and, and gave Trump the election, if they start to feel it in their purses, then you might actually have a, a change, I think. But will that happen? But I'd like to get your thoughts about just being in the White House and really the atmosphere and dynamics of the White House press briefings, because it seems like Sarah Sanders is running the theater of the absurd, where all of you are characters in a, a Saturday Night Live skit. <laughs> you know, I felt for Sarah yesterday. I mean, she looked really tired. Um, I think she was having a tough day yesterday. But yeah, look, we clocked a briefing at like 12 minutes or maybe less than 12 minutes, which is just crazy. It's like, what's the point? She gets up there. We all ask the questions about the news of the day, be it indictments or the day's tweet or whatever. And we get the same answers. Sometimes those answers are completely just wrong, reversals or complete denials of stuff we know to be true. So it's kind of, in a way, meaningless for us. It's not like we get answers out of those briefings anymore. And by the way, they're becoming fewer and farther in between, right? She doesn't do them every day. They're frequently canceled. And like as I said, they're getting shorter and shorter. Yeah, and I guess on a more personal level, Lorraine, I'd just like to ask about how hard it would be to function as a journalist when the president keeps 
disparaging you and everything you do, whether it's the enemy of the American people, you know, fake news or, and the most troubling thing is that so many GOP supporters take it as the truth. You know, that's really interesting. Like, I haven't changed how I do my job, despite all of that. Like, I've had some really tough personal moments. Like, I'm glad, for example, that I live in an apartment building on a high floor with a secure entrance. <laughs> um, so that's been really bad. Like, the vitriol and the threats, it's horrible. But it hasn't really affected, like, what I do every day. I'm still calling the same people. Maybe I'm drinking a little more because <laughs> of the stress. But it doesn't change how we do our jobs. If anything, maybe we're being more careful, double and triple checking everything we write, making sure that we link actual data and information that backs up what we're writing. It brings me down. I'm stressed out about it, but it hasn't really changed how I do my job. On Tuesday, I was at the rally in West Virginia with the president. And it was the usual thing where the crowd turns around and is booing at us and the president kind of works them off. But then minutes later, they all want to come over and talk to you and take your picture. It's just very strange. Well, I also wanted to ask you about the key issues in the midterms. Is impeachment going to be a double-edged sword? Yeah, I don't know that the Democrats have figured that out yet. Probably many, many of them think that that works against them and they're trying to tamp down that rhetoric even after the verdict and the guilty plea on Tuesday. So I don't know that impeachment's going to actually really be a big driver in the midterms. I think general anti-Trump sentiment for Democrats and some swing voters, that's going to be a key driver. For Republicans, though, you've also got Mitch McConnell's like really fantastic work getting dozens and dozens of judges confirmed. Like, that stuff plays really strongly to the conservative base, and that is going to bring people out on Trump's side and Republican side in November. And then you also have the deregulatory effort that Trump has been quietly doing a lot of work, you know, rolling back regulations, lightening up on enforcement, for example. And those things really speak loudly to the conservative base, and it's going to help draw turnout. How about climate change? I thought Thomas Friedman wrote a very good piece, making a great case that certainly starting in 2016 and 2020, when you look at all the jobs and what a poor job Democrats have done marketing, you know, there are 700,000 alternative energy jobs in Ohio and only 100,000 fossil fuel extraction, for example. Democrats have to make a better case for this. You don't hear this. What you hear, like, for example, in West Virginia is, oh, my God, Democrats are killing coal, which is killing your jobs, killing our livelihoods. They have a good story to tell. They have a good narrative. I don't think they're leveraging it well enough. If there is a blue wave in the midterms, do you see any chance of some move towards the center by the GOP? And is there any chance for bipartisan legislation, even in its most basic form? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know that there's going to be a blue wave. Democrats will pick up some seats, I think. This is a really interesting question because I think what we've been seeing here is that I talk to a lot of business groups as part of my job. And... They're getting really frustrated. I mean, we've all been watching this war between Tom Donahue at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the Trump administration. And, you know, there are a lot of other business trades that are also stepping up. You'd think that with a deregulatory administration, you'd think business would be thrilled. But, of course, they're not because of all these other reasons, immigration and tariffs and that sort of thing. And so I think you're starting to see business groups look for moderate candidates to support. 
This year we've already seen the chamber endorse a couple Democrats, which is out of character for them. And you've seen other groups sort of wade into primaries to try to keep the more fringe candidates out of the general election. So I think that that could be where you start to see pressure on lawmakers next term. Maybe not necessarily just because there's a closer split in the Congress, but maybe because there's pressure coming up from the constituents to try to get stuff done. And there are plenty of places where both sides can work together, right? Transportation and infrastructure. Come on, we've been talking about that since Trump got elected and nothing's been done. Criminal justice reform. That's a place that's broad agreement on both sides of the aisle. So it might not take much to nudge people. Just to be tangential for a second, the election to me, which is fascinating, is going to be in Tennessee. Classic example of what you're talking about is will pragmatic traditional Republicans support Phil Bredesen, who is the last person to win statewide election and who's a real accomplished guy versus Marsha Blackburn, who's the quintessential Freedom Caucus bridge burner, not builder. So I'm really curious about that one. But I always like to end the show by asking, since you're so immersed in it, what do you see positive coming out of all this? If you had to point to one thing that gives you hope for the future, what would it be? I think the bomb throwers have had their day, the bomb throwers in Congress. I think they've had their day. I think their days are numbered. We're starting to see pushback. So I do believe that we're going to start to see a shift back toward the center, at least among Republicans. Jury's out on Democrats. They seem to be moving further left. But at least with the Republican Party, I think that the Freedom Caucus type, I think that their glory days are kind of starting to fade. You've been listening to our conversation with Lorraine Wallert, the White House reporter for Politico. Lorraine, thanks so much for appearing on the show. Thanks, Dave. So that's it for today, folks. I'll see you on our next round of Practically Political, where we go beyond the deluge of everyday news to dive deeper into American politics. I'm Dave Spencer. Have a great week.